Father, that's such an overwhelming realization that you thought of us. And that's why you went to the cross. Amazing, amazing, Lord. Thank you, God, for loving us. Father, thank you that we can gather together, that we can lift our voices in praise to you. Lord, thank you that we can open our Bibles and that you will speak to our hearts. And as we do that today, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd give us understanding. We ask that today you would make application of your word. Lord, today, would you give encouragement? Would you give direction? Lord, today, have your will in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Good to have you here in the house of God today. Praise the Lord. Everyone have a good week? Nice to have a little break in the weather, huh? Hopefully, uh, hopefully no more 110 days and we'll start to get, uh, get, get going here. Praise the Lord. On the Indian Reservation a few months ago, the old chief, he uh, got sick and he died. And so the tribe elected a new chief for them to lead them. And uh, the new gentleman that they, they elected and they appointed chief of the nation uh, uh, was a younger man. And he it's hard filling in, I was going to say, his, his shoes, but I guess I should say his moccasins, because the tribe come up to him and say, you know, as the leader now, we're going to look to you to guide the tribe of what to do and the decisions to make. And the chief always told us how to prepare for winter. What do we do as we go into winter? And, and the new chief, being a little nervous, said, well, uh, come back in a week and I'll let you know what we're to do. And so they go away and now he's panicking. I don't know. How, you know what am I going to do? So being a, uh, a millennial, he got on a smartphone and he called the weather service. He said, you know, what kind of winter are we going to have? And the guy at the, at the weather service said, it's going to be a cold winter. You need to prepare for, for a cold winter. So the, the tribal council come back the next week and he told them as the new chief, it's going to be a cold winter. Start gathering firewood and be prepared for, for a cold winter. And uh, they said, well, what else are we to do? And so now he panics a little bit and he says, well, come back in a week and I'll tell you what else you need to do. So they leave, and oh, he calls the weather service again. Says, uh, you know, what's an update? How are we looking on the status? And the guy said, well, I apologize. I kind of gave you some bad information. It's going to be a little bit more intense winter than, than I first thought. So you need to really be prepared for the cold, cold, cold. Okay, we'll be prepared for the cold, cold, cold. The tribal chiefs come back that next week, and he tells them, I, uh, you need to, to be prepared for a really, really, really cold winter. Make sure you're prepared. Oh, thank you, great chief. What else do we need to know? And he goes, well, come back in a week, and I'll, I'll tell you for sure what you need to know. So they leave, and so the week goes by, and he goes, oh, they're coming tomorrow. I better check back with them. And so he calls the weather service, and, and he goes, um, you know, are we still looking at a cold winter? And the guy goes, I am so, so sorry. I misinformed you. This is going to be the worst winter that's ever happened. You need to make sure you're really, really ready. And the guy goes, you know, how do you all at the weather service know it's going to be such a cold winter? And the guy goes, because the Indians are piling up on wood. <laughs> so you see, they're just kind of going round and round and round, right? Well, we, <laughs> we can seek greater advice and truer advice as we seek the Word of God, right? Well, today, in the section we're looking at today, we're going to see some, some great, great things as we study. And we're in 2 Kings chapter 4. And as we get into this, we're going to see gr 
four great miracles that have powerful, powerful lessons that we can apply to our lives today to prepare us and to make sure that we live a victorious life. And they're just awesome. We will not get to the four great miracles today. Um, my goal is to get through two of them. We'll see how it goes. Remember, we are studying the life and the ministry of Elisha. Elisha. And this first of the four miracles we find in verses 1 through 7. So let's read them all, and then let's look at the great lessons they have for us. So begin reading 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. It says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, Well, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, Your maidservant, underline this, has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And then he said unto her, Go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors, empty vessels, and don't gather just a few. Get a bunch. Verse 4, And when you have come into the house, shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour into it, into those vessels, and set aside the full ones. And so she went from him, she shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought in the vessels for her, and she poured it out, the oil out. Verse 6, And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said unto her, There is not another vessel. And so the oil ceased. And then she came and she told the man of God, and he said, Now go and sell the oil and pay off your debts, and you and your son shall live on the rest. This first great miracle is a miracle of provision. It is a fantastic uh, miracle. It ties into the one we saw last week with the miracle of the digging of the ditches to receive God's blessing. We won't re-preach that, but uh, it's a great lesson. A couple of things as we start out here. Notice, first of all, if you're, if you're taking down notes, if you want to write this down, uh, point number one would be this, and we've seen this before in our studies, we'll see it again, and that is that serving God doesn't exempt us from hard times. Right, right, amen to that. And sometimes it actually increases hard times because now we've got an even greater enemy, right? And so uh, just because we serve the Lord doesn't mean that we are exempt from hard times. Also notice, if you would, in verse 1, that uh, we see a contrast here. And that is that the man of God he feared and served God, but the woman is fearing the creditor. Let me ask you something bold and in your face right at the beginning. Are you fearing God or are you fearing the world? Let me put that in clay lingo. Are you serving and trusting God or are you letting the world panic you so now you're trusting in yourself? Right? Remember, this is a, a miracle and lessons on God's provision and us living in the victorious life. She was fearing the wrong person. Now, the law did write into it, and I can give you the scriptures here. Uh, the scriptures are uh, Exodus 21, 1 and 2, and Leviticus 25, 9 through 11. The law stated that if a person went into, uh, uh, into debt and you couldn't pay it back, the creditor could take you or your family as slave labor to pay off the debt or until the Jewish year of Jubilee. Every 50 years was this year of Jubilee in which all debts were canceled. Wasn't that a great plan? And so uh, this guy was doing what was in his rights. Another thing that's important for us to notice here 
kind of interesting is that the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that this prophet who had passed away was the prophet Obadiah. Now, not Obadiah from the book of Obadiah in the Old Testament, but Obadiah from 1 Kings chapter 18, who worked for King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. He was the prophet, the man of God, who hid the hundred servants of God, remember, in the two caves, and fed them and took care of them and hid them. And a lot of people believe that that is the reason why he got into debt is because he was serving God. And so here we see that 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 may be it. We're not sure. Whatever the circumstances, he has now died. And now his wife is faced with this situation of losing her moving, losing her boys. And that would be equivalent to losing her life savings, losing her future. Right. And so uh, the next thing that that uh, we see here, if you're taking notes, verse two. And this is very important for all of us. Let me ask you guys this. You ever feel like you're in a hopeless situation? You don't know what to do next? Here's the next point, and that is review your resources. Check this out. The prophet says, what do you have? And look what her response was. Her response is the same response that a lot of us have. She says, I ain't got nothing that can help. Oh, I do have a little oil. And again, this is a sub point if you're writing things down. And that is that uh, what we consider is nothing. God considers enough. Now, bear with me on this. She says, I've got a little bit of oil in the Bible. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. The Hebrew people used olive oil for many purposes. It was used for cooking. It was used for lights, for lighting their candles. It was used to treat wounds. It was used for anointing. It had a lot, a lot of purposes, this olive oil. And it is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Would you put on the screen for me, please? Zechariah 4, 3 through 6. This is awesome. Zechariah is getting this vision from God. He's overwhelmed and God says, I can take care of this. How are you going to take care of this? This is a great lesson for us. Check it out. Here he, he's explaining the, to God the vision that he's seeing. He says, I see two olive trees are by it. One by the right of the bull and the other by its left. And so I answered and I spoke to the angel who talked to me saying, well, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, you don't know what these are? You ever feel really dumb when you talk to God? Don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. Right. You just talk to God. The angel said, you don't know what these are. And he said, nope, don't know what they are. And he answered and he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Okay. Zerubbabel was faced with this task that he had no idea how he was going to be able to do it. No way humanly possible to pull this off. But he sees these trees. These trees are feeding olive oil into these lamps that are burning. And the angel says, it's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This oil is a picture of the spirit Zerubbabel, you're not going to be able to do this on your own. Friends, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. But with the Spirit of God, that's how we accomplish things. Jesus said this to the disciples. It's recorded for us in the first chapter of the book of Acts. He told the guys, he said, don't you go doing anything until you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, for that will empower you and enable you to do what I've told you to do. Friends, it's the Holy Spirit in us that enables us to accomplish what God has for us. Now, just like this woman, she didn't think this oil was very valuable or good for anything. 
Friends, it's a shame. It is a shame. A lot of churches don't put an emphasis and they don't realize the power of the Holy Spirit's presence and activity in the life of the believer. You guys, just calm down. Don't get Pentecostal on me. We need the Holy Spirit's working in our life. I don't know how, number one, I don't know how the world exists outside of these walls without God, but especially without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I mean, if you guys haven't noticed, the world's crazy. But it's not by might, it's not by power. It's by my Spirit, says the Lord. We have to have the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, he says, she says, I got a little bit of the Spirit. Well, you need a lot more of the Spirit. How do we get more Spirit? Well, get you more vessels. In the Bible, what are the vessels? Got a couple more scriptures for you. Would you put 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and 2 Timothy 2, 2 up there? We are the vessels. In Corinthians, Paul's talking to us believers, and he says, but we have this treasure. Guess what the treasure is in that text? Any guesses? The Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Our bodies are earthen vessels. How did God make the first man? He made a clay. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Waited all week to do that. We are earthen vessels. We're we're just clay pots. Some of us are crack pots. Not like crack, crack. Never mind. Uh, That didn't go over. That treasure is the excellence of the power. Of the power may be of God and not of us. That power isn't from us. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Isn't that awesome? 2 Timothy 2.20 says this. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Aren't you glad that Unlike the cults, Christianity is, we're all different, right? You know, in the great story of the Tower of Babel, it's a great story of a false religion. Man decided he was going to get to heaven on his own by building this tower. And it says that they made bricks. If you live in a brick house or a brick, you ever seen a brick building, all the bricks are the same, right? They're all put together to build this tower. But in the New Testament, it says that God is building his house with living stones fit together look around look how unique we all are and god has made each of us just the way we are isn't that cool look what god can do with one nose two eyes and a mouth i mean if you think about it right god is cool so we are the vessels the vessels need to be filled with this oil which is the holy spirit now if you're taking notes let's get back to our story uh if we want to be victorious, if we want to live the, the abundant life, number three, we find in verse three, and that is think big. Elisha told her, don't just get a couple jars. Get all you can. Get all that you can. When we think little, we limit God to little. It's like the ditch digging thing we saw last week. The amount of blessings they got to keep depending on how deep and how many ditches they dug, right? How does that apply to you and I? Well, How much time are you putting into your spiritual life? How much time are you investing into studying the word of God, into praying, into worshiping, into fellowshipping, into serving, right? All of that is to help us to fill our vessels. And so it's awesome. 
Awesome, awesome. The fourth thing we see, we find it in verse 4. This is interesting. Kind of bear with me on this one. And that is that this particular miracle was not intended to be a public one, but a private one. Not everything that God does in your life is meant to go on Facebook. I mean, meant to be a public sensation, but a, a private demonstration of God's grace and mercy. He said, go in there and, and shut the door behind you. What did Jesus talk about when he talked about the prayer closet? When you go into your prayer closet, what? Shut the door and, and you and God take care of some business. Right? There's sometimes, friends, that, that you're looking at other people, you're looking at, at organizations, you're looking at political parties, you're looking at, at money, you're looking at things to solve your problem. When you need to humble yourself, you need to get before God, just you and God, and get this thing worked out. Ministering to anybody? Okay. So uh, we do have community miracles, like the digging of the ditches in the last. There's also personal miracles. Here's the, in both of those miracles, we saw the principle of sowing and reaping. What you put into it is what we will get out of it. Also notice, if you would, this is very important, verse 3, very important. He says, take your sons with you when you do this. Friends, might upset some people here, but I'm going to take that chance. You are to be training your children in the things of God more than the Sunday school teacher. All right? Your kids should be learning more about God's provision and what God's doing at your house than in God's house. We're doing our part. We buy good curriculum. We got great volunteers to do all that stuff. They do a great job. Wouldn't you say so? But friends, if you're depending upon your child's spiritual life just for 45 minutes on Sunday, you, it, it ain't going to work. Because the world's got them all the other days. And you can't believe what they're teaching kids in public schools these days. It's horrible. It's horrible, right? And I know some of you are saying, Clay, let's move it on here. All right. For the overhead, would you put, I love this scripture. God slapped me on the side of the head. You ever do that? You ever read the Bible and God just kind of says, read that again, you read again, read that again, you read again, and then he slaps you. Bam! You ever do that? I'm the only one? A couple people? All right. Micah 2.7, check this out. You who are named of the house of Jacob, uh, th that could be translated for you and I, you, you people who are God's people. Look at this first line. Is the spirit of the Lord restricted? God asked the prophet, is my arm slack? Have I lost power? Is the Spirit of God restricted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walk uprightly? You know what that's saying? The only restriction on the Spirit of God is you. We control it. Pastor Clay, I'm feeling very empty and like God's not meeting my needs. Well, what are you doing to meet your own needs? What do you got in your house? All right. Is this convicting anybody? Don't raise your hand because I don't, don't let's don't raise your hand. So she fills them all. And this is also important. 
The oil, the blessings that God gives us are meant to go out to the world. So now go sell them. Now we're not to sell and make, make market of the things of God, the blessings. I think it's very wrong for Christian entertainers to charge. They didn't pay for their anointing. <laughs> you guys are all like, what? Right? Freely you've received, freely give. And so, go out now, you know, sell this because it's going to pay off your debts and it's going to take care of you guys for the rest of your life. So that was a lot of oil, right? Here's the summary of that. With the Holy Spirit's anointing, filling your vessel, and as we serve others, God will take care of you. Isn't that great? That's a good little portion of Scripture, right? Well, let's get into the next one. The next one is where we'll slow down a little bit. Uh, I've titled verse 8 through 37, Bringing life to a dead dream. You ever feel like a dream or desire that you've had was from God, and then all of a sudden, nobody? Okay. Then you guys are going to be bored these next hour. Verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shum, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him uh, to eat some food. So, So it was... As often as he passed by, he would turn there and eat some food. And she said to her husband one day, verse 9, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed in there, a table, a chair, a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes here, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into there, uh, turned into the upper room and he laid down. Let's stop right there and kind of bring us up to where we were. Where he lived in uh, Abel, Mahal, I can't say the name, and Mark, in Mount Carmel, where he would go quite a bit, was 40 miles. Where this lady lives, Shuma here, is right in the middle, right about 20 miles. So he's always making this trip. In every commentary I could find, it says that by walking, uh, an average person could cover between 15 to 20 miles a day. So let's say this is a full day's journey. And... Uh, they would camp out or stay in the night or something like that. About halfway point, then the next day finish their trip. Well, here, this notable woman, that word notable means rich. In the first story, we saw a very poor woman. Now, I was going to say something smart alecky about, you know, it's the preacher's wife that's poor, and it's the, the farmer's wife that's rich. But then I remembered my wife's the daughter of a farmer. And anyway, let's don't go there. But the principle is the same. It rains on the just and the unjust. Right? No one is exempt from the blessings of God or the challenges of life. She was very rich. First lady was very poor. But both of them have some issues. Well, she sees the man of God. She wants to feed him. He eats. And then all of a sudden she goes, you know what? There's no holiday inn around here. Nothing like this. Let's build a, a prophet's chamber for him husband says okay let's do that they make a nice room we're going to find out it's it's a big room where he can walk around his servant Gehazi can stay with him so pretty nice digs here for the guy and every time he would pass by he could stay the night there she would feed him pretty cool thing right so one day they're there says in verse uh, 11 and it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and he lay down there verse 12 and he said to Gehazi his servant call the Shulamite woman and when he called her, she stood before him. 
And he said to him, now he's speaking through his servant, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all of this care. What can I do for you? How can I pay you back for your kindness? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander? The king would be Jehoshaphat. He's a man of great influence. Says, you know, I could put a good word in for you to the king, uh, to, to the commander. How, how can I help you out for doing your good deed? She's just simply doing her good deed because she wants to bless the Lord and the people of God. She's not looking for anything. Now, that's a great spiritual principle there. When we start, when we start trying to manipulate God into forcing blessings on us, friends, you've missed it. But when you just want to bless the Lord, when you just want to bless God's people, get ready for blessings, right? So she says, I dwell among my own people. That's a way of saying I'm satisfied with where I'm at, with what's going on. Everything's cool. Verse 14. And so he says, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered and says, well, actually, she has no son and her husband's an old guy. Now remember, in the Hebrew culture, to be barren, to not have children, was considered a curse. That was her future. They didn't have programs and stuff like we do to, to prepare for old age. It was depending on the family. So this was, was kind of a serious deal. And so Gehazi said, you know, she doesn't have a child. Verse 15. And so he said, well, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said to her, verse 16, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she says, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Now, she's not saying that because she doesn't want children. She's saying that because she has already wrestled through the disappointment of not having children all these years. She's like, don't fill me with false hopes. Don't fill me with, with empty promises. Right? And let me kind of bring that to us. If you ever ask, if you ever find out someone's going through a situation and and you say, I'm going to pray for you. And they kind of, yeah, like that'll do good. They don't realize how strong prayer is. And let me tell you, when people find out you are a man or a woman of serious prayer, they'll come seeking you. Right? Now, it's amazing the, the way the, the enemy in our, our, in our unsaved world is slowly trying to get God out of the way. Right? Notice how people are now mocking prayer. We have celebrities now saying, your prayers and good thoughts don't mean anything. Let me tell you what, still the pow most powerful force in the world for a Christian is our prayer life. Right? So, anyway, she's, she's saying, man, don't fill me with this, this false, false hope. And he says, uh, nope, next year, verse 17, but the woman conceived and she bore a son. And when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her, a year later, she's rocking a baby. Isn't that awesome? Well, friends, let me give you another spiritual point. I think we're all adults in here, basically, right? Okay. I guess everyone in here knows how a baby comes about, right? Okay. If, <laughs> if not, you need to go to Gilbert Sunday School class. Here's the spiritual point of that. If God gives you his word, and <laughs> you're hiding her ears, <laughs> it, it's clean. If you receive the word of God, it's like conception. Now, it might take a while, 
for the product of that conception, but where there's a conception, there's going to be a birth. Right? If there's conception, there's going to be a birth. And if God has conceived a promise in your heart, you hang on because he will birth that promise. Does that make sense? Okay? So you hold on. It might take nine months. It might take nine years. But you hold on to the promise of God. Because, right? Because if, if there's a conception, there's going to be a birth. All right, you can uncover her ears now. Nine months later, she's rocking the baby. Verse 18, and the child grew. The boy's growing up. We don't know his name. We don't know the mom's name. We don't know the daddy's name. He grows up like children do. Now, it happened one day that he went out to his father and to the reapers. Uh, he's big enough to, you know, spend a day with dad on the farm, but not big enough to, to work yet. So let's say five, six-ish, maybe. I don't know. And he said to his father, my head, my head, his head's hurting. And so him being a loving, caring father did what a lot of fathers do. Get him back to his mama. <laughs> Come on, fellas, don't we do that? You know, I'm working here. Get rid of the kid. And so little boy's son's sick or whatever's happening. His head is hurting and, and all that stuff. So he, dad's working. So he, take him back home. Verse 20, and when she'd taken him, he brought him to his mother and she sat him on her knee. So he was still a little guy. And she's holding him on her knee and he dies. Verse 21. Very, very important here. I need to get to my right page. What do you do when it seems like the promises of God or your dreams die? Very, very important here, friends. Don't miss this. She does not prepare for a burial. She prepares for a miracle. When it seems like your dream is dead, the promises of God are gone. She didn't prepare for a burial. She prepared for a miracle. Put on the overhead, please. This is fantastic. Hebrews 11.35. You'll recall that Hebrews is the great faith chapter. And this is, it says, woman, this is, by Hebrew scholars, believed to be this woman. Women received their dead raised to life again. So this tells us that this woman is acting in faith, not in fear. Right? And being in the funeral business for almost 40 years, there's not anything worse than a parent having a child die. But there's nothing greater than God's grace. Now let's look at some principles here. She, uh, it, it says, verse 21, and she went up and she laid him on the bed of the man of God and she shut the door upon him and she went out. Now in that culture, in that custom, it was, it was the, uh, they would have burial within, within that day. And so uh, she didn't want anyone to disturb the body. She's trusting God. She takes him up to the man of God's place and uh, so the first lesson of how to prepare for a miracle is uh, number one is is go to God go to God verse 21 she lays him upon the bed and look at what she does in verse 22 she she called to her husband she said she didn't tell him what happened she says please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys again donkey is a vehicle of royalty so we know that they're 
a wealthy family, farmers. Uh, she said, then I may run to the man of God and come back. Okay. She's not seeking the undertaker. She's seeking the overtaker. I'm going to the man of God. And verse 23, he says to her, well, why are you going to him today? It's, it's, it's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's not a church day. What's going on? Look at her response. She says, it is well. What? It is well. Friends, let me ask you something very, very real here. Do you trust God enough to say no matter what happens, it is well? Would you put Romans 8.28 on the overhead? We all know this verse. We all love this verse. We all quote this verse. Unbelievers think it's a cop-out verse. It's not. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to His purposes. Do you guys believe that? So then no matter what happens, we can say it is well. Now I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But let's, let's, let's move forward here. Fifteen years ago yesterday, an event happened that forever changed the McGuire family. My wife, my, my children's mother, was hit by a car as she was crossing a street. Guy ran through the intersection. She was on foot, hit her. It was quite a traumatic deal. And uh, uh, some people are here today that were there when that happened and remember all the stuff that was going on. And I specifically remember it. Now, I am no great man of faith. I can't open my shirt and have a big S for super saint on my chest. Trust me on that. But I can remember when all the saints, and there was just a handful of us, Milt was there, the Lawson's were there, there was a handful of us there, right? I went to the hospital. They, she got a helicopter ride, and I didn't. But we paid dearly for that helicopter ride. Anyway, all the saints were gathered there in that emergency room and interceding and believing for God. And I am not lying, friends. I was upset and tore up, and just, as you can imagine. But I had this overwhelming sense it is well. I can't explain it. They don't talk to you when that happens because they're doing their thing. You have no idea what's going on, right? Your, your mind tells you the, the absolute worst, right? And you're sitting there in an ER room and know nothing, but you're praying, and I can't explain it. I had that sensation of it is well. Had no idea what was going to happen. Well, God did a great miracle, and she's, she's with us today. She's with your children today, so. <laughs> yeah, we better close. Uh, God did a great miracle in that situation, and I can't explain it other than God. God. Now, let's move on, because I want to get back to that Romans 8, 28, and it is well. She goes after him. She's got the donkey. He says, it's not church day. She says, and it's, everything's cool, verse 24. So she saddled the donkey, said to her servant, you drive on and go forward. Don't slacken your pace for me unless I tell you to. You can travel faster than I You go ahead and go to the man of God. I'll be behind you. Don't wait for me unless I holler at you, right? This is urgent. Let's go. 
So they take off. Verse 25. So she departed and she went to the Son of Man at Mount Carmel. Now remember the little boy dies at noon. They say it takes a whole day to travel these 20 miles. So she's taking off, say, maybe 1 o'clock. God gives them some time here because they make it there. Uh, verse 25, I'm kind of halfway in the middle of where it says, So it was when the man of God saw her from afar, he's sitting on the porch or something, Caesar. He says to Gehazi, look, the Shulamite woman, please run now to meet her and say, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it, is it well with the child? Now, remember, she had told her husband, it is well. And so the prophet says, ask her, is it well? And so the servant who's younger and faster, he goes out to meet her. Is everything okay? And look what she says again twice. It is well. This is our, our second point of how to prepare for a miracle, and that is to speak faith. Speak faith. It is well. It is well. Verse 27. Now when she came to the man of God, she comes up to the house on the hill. She caught him by the feet. Now, uh, we kind of see that she probably dives at him because Gehazi, he reacts to try to push her away. He doesn't know what she's going to do, attack him or something like this. So she pushes him away. And the man of God said her, no, let her alone for her soul's in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Now, I find this so fascinating. Elisha was so in tune with God that he was more surprised that God didn't tell him than if he had told him. We hear from God and freak out. He freaked out because he didn't hear from God. Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. So he's like, man, why didn't God tell me this? And uh, verse 28, so she, she says to him, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She's kind of blaming him now. You know, now I got this heartache, and I told you not to do, don't get my hopes up, and now just to, to pull it out from under me. Verse 29, And he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand, and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him, and if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the child's face. Now, friends, this is very, 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 very important point. This is the third point. And that is, uh, be very careful to avoid distractions. If someone meets you and want to talk, don't talk. Don't check your Facebook. Don't tweet. I'm on a trip. This is very important. Don't let the world distract you. Would you put on the overhead Mark 4.19? says this, And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. I want to highlight the first line, the cares of this world. Friends, we get so involved in the cares of this world Social media, what's, what's the newest thing happening here? What's this happening here? Right? The next thing you know, you've wasted four hours. I was reading and studying all this. I was reading uh, how many people admit to going on social media at work and the amount of time they're stealing from their employees because they're playing on their, their phones. It's incredible. Avoid distractions. Let me ask you this. How many, okay, don't raise your hand. 
and don't punch your husband in the side. It's late at night and you've had a good day and watching a little TV or something and you think, yeah, okay, it's time to read the Bible. It's time to pray. Right. Okay, I'm going to pray. I just better see how many people like my joke on Facebook. Next thing you know, an hour's gone by. I'm really too tired to pray, and so we don't pray. Avoid distractions. Why? Because it's a matter of life and death. Our job is to bring life into this world. Our job is to bring hope to the hopeless. He says, you go out, don't do what, what's customary. You, you got a job, keep focused on what, what you're told to do. And uh, go lay the staff on here, on his face. I lost my place. 30. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. He wasn't even going to go. She says, you're coming, dude, you're coming with me. So they go. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid his staff on the face of the child and there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him saying the child has not awakened. Verse 32. Then Elisha came into the house. There was the child laying dead on the bed. Now check out verse 33. So he goes in. Therefore shut the door behind the two of them. Now I've been trying to figure out a connection between shut the door and pour the oil and shut the door and pray for the boy. And I can't really make a big, deep spiritual significance other than keeping doubt out. I don't know. But he shut the door. But here's, here's our third point, very important, and prayed to the Lord. Point three, pray, pray, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Verse 34. And he went up and he laid on top of the child and he put his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes and his hands on the child's eyes. Now, we saw that Elijah did that same thing in 1 Kings chapter 17 with another widow who had lost a child. And he's laying on it and it says the flesh of the child became warm, but the child hadn't arisen yet, but He's starting to get warmth back in his body. Verse 35, he returned and he walked back and forth in the house. And again, he went up and he stretched himself out on him again. And this time the child sneezed seven times. Now, uh, the Bible doesn't explain the significance of seven sneezes. It was incredible, the opinion of people and, and, and what they were trying to say. These seven sneezes meant everywhere from Bible commentaries, everywhere from casting demons out to to he got pollen in his nose from helping his dad I, I don't know he sneezed seven times here's the important part not the sneeze the important part is this and a child opened his eyes and so he calls for Gehazi and he says call the Shulamite woman so he called her and when she came in to him he said pick up your son and she went in, she fell at his feet, and she bowed to the ground. Here's the fourth thing, and that is an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude to God. Just being thankful to God. You know, we've been 
mistaught over the years that we're just to demand from God, demand from God, you know, tell God what you want and expect God to do all this. Hey, the Bible tells us we breed because it's a gift from God, right? And God likes gratitude so much that we're instructing the Bible to re- even receive our food with thanksgiving, right? Sometimes when you pray, don't give God your shopping list. Just give him your gratitude list. God, thank you that, that I'm living in a country where I can pray to you. God, thank you that I'm, that I'm here. And Anyway, whatever. Be gratitude. She had gratitude. There's a great story, true story, of ten lepers in the Bible. Leprosy was an incurable disease. It was horrible. And ten lepers come to Jesus wanting help. And Jesus says, okay, go to the temple. And as they, as they went, it didn't happen immediately, but as they went, they all became clean. And one out of the ten comes back and he falls on his knees before Jesus and he thanks Jesus. And Jesus goes, hey, I thought there were ten of you. Where's the other nine? I don't know about them nine, but I'm, I'm thanking you. And the Bible says this, that Jesus picked them up and has said he was made whole. The other lepers were cleansed. The leprosy stopped. But the thing about leprosy is it, it ate away parts of your body. You might lose ears, fingers, toes, nose, right? This leper, because he came back and thanked God and expressed appreciation when he stood up, he had all his fingers. He had his ears and his toes. He was made whole. And the only difference between him and the nine was an attitude of gratitude. Isn't that amazing? So uh, she picks up her sons and she goes out. Jewish tradition says that this boy grows up to be Habakkuk. Habakkuk of the book Habakkuk. Habakkuk means the embracer. We don't believe that was his name. We just believe that's what he was called. And then the book of Habakkuk says this. It says Habakkuk asked God some very tough questions of things that he didn't understand. How many of you know there's things going on in our world? Maybe in our families, maybe in our churches, maybe in our government, things that we don't understand. And God told Habakkuk, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take care of it. Now friends, Christians are freaking out over what's going on in the world. Can I tell you by the authority of, of the Bible? God will take care of it. We just got to embrace what God is doing. God told Habakkuk, don't ch- chill out, dude. I'll take care of it. How are you going to take care of it? How are you, gonna you ever just pester God? Kind of like a child. He says, Habakkuk, if I tell you what I'm going to do, you won't believe me. Oh, don't tell me, tell me, don't tell me. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I don't believe you. But he embraced what God was doing. He became the embracer. Now, I told you I'm going to go back to the it is well and the Romans 8.28. Friends, this, I, I don't understand why God chooses to do some things for some people one way and chooses to do it another way for other people. That Hebrews 11 that I put up on the board, that whole chapter we call in the Bible the Hall of Fame of Faith. It, it highlights great men and women of faith. But it's in two halves. The first half is all these, these people and prophets that did great, amazing things Moses is splitting seas and talking to rocks and the rocks give water, you know, just amazing, incredible things. The second half, which we started 
here with the women receiving their dead and all this other stuff. The second half is all the f- what we would call a failure of faith. People hiding in the desert. People getting uh, executed. But God calls them heroes of the faith. What was the difference? The difference was they accepted what God gave them. And they said, it is well. We sing the song, it is well with my soul. Friends, when we get to a place in our life that when even bad, sad, horrible things happen, that we can look at God and say, it is well. Friends, we're on our way to a great victory. Does that make sense? Doesn't mean there's not pain. Doesn't mean there's not tears. But it means we got a great God that we can trust. Amen? Hey, let's stand. Worship team, join me up here, please. Well, I hope this was an encouragement. I hope these two situations with these two ladies and their sons gave you some encouragement today. Uh, God's great provision was seen. We saw how to prepare for miracles. We saw how God gives us His Holy Spirit to enable us to accomplish great and awesome things. We learned that we can trust God even in those dark hours in our life. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, as the worship team comes up here, as we always do, we're going to uh, have a time of, of worship, and we're going to open the altars for prayer. We're going to give you the opportunity. And uh, Sister Lucy, would you join me at the altar? I'd like a lady up here to pray. Uh, and the fellows will join me up here. And while we're singing, I invite you to be in an attitude of worship. I invite you to be in an attitude of prayer. And if you need prayer, we invite you to come forward. We'd like to pray with you and for you. Then after that's over, we'll give you, uh, we'll dismiss you. Just a couple quick announcements before we do that, though. Uh, tonight, our Bible study, 6 o'clock. We're in a marriage series here in the sanctuary. And there is no midweek services, no prayer on Tuesday, no Bible study Wednesday this week. Okay? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your awesome, wonderful word. And Lord, as hard as it is, may we all get to the point where we can say, it is well. Father, I'm not there yet on everything. I I admit that. I don't know if any of us are. But would you help us to be? Father, would you help us to depend upon you totally and completely, Holy Spirit? Lord, like that oil being poured out. Father, we ask that you would pour your Holy Spirit into these earthen vessels. Lord, I pray that today you'd give great encouragement and hope. Lord, revive a dream. Father, help us to see your hand in everything we do. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I spoke.